You are now listening to a family live session. This conversation has been recorded as an extension of a previous podcast episode or as a Q&A tackling a topic that has been voted by the listeners. The guests have tuned in live to answer questions from the viewers. If you want to know when the next live Q&A session happens, follow us at Family Podcast on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks for tuning in. Super ready to start. Are you ready to start with some of the questions we've we've got? Perfect. Um, (laughs) To remind remind everybody, Antisa talked about emotional intelligence and taking the time to know who you are. And she did a wonderful job telling us about how she transitioned from a 12 years career in investment banking to being a coach and and working with the inner work right so working with with the soul and working with finding how to unlock your potential um you work with both the companies and professionals you train people and um, you also have a lot of uh, a lot of clients who are maybe in this transition phase trying to find the true uh, meaning of their life and their career and trying to do the right uh, the right step so I'm, i'm really happy that we get to talk about it because we had some questions from our listeners and just to remind everybody where we where we left off um some of the last minutes of the last interview you talked about um having the right to change your mind as a piece of advice mm-hmm. and also um the fact that when you don't know where to start everything is fair game meaning that you need to take that leap of faith and start somewhere and we've got some <laughs> we've got some interesting and i think very um very good feedback on this because mm-hmm. uh, one of our listeners said you talk about emotional intelligence and how we can use it in order to determine our needs limits and working style about how you might not be in the right place even when you feel you are successful at what you're doing and ultimately about your gut feeling telling you there is something else out there for you. For mm-hmm. those who perhaps will not have a coach for guidance, could you recommend some literature on the matter? What books would you say are a must read of inspiration? And to add to that, I would say let's go further than books and talk about a first step if you don't know where to start transitioning into your true you know, passion or career step. Yeah, I love this question. Um, And I'm going to start with a more sassy response, which is um, I I had a Buddhist master tell me once, learn how to read people, not books. And when so many people ask me this question, so I'm like, I think it's a wonderful question. And I do have a long list of books that you could read. And I like to offer a disclaimer with it, that the things that I am in my being, they didn't come from books. I learned these things through integrating my experiences. And books have been valuable um, in in certain cases to help me have language for things that I was experiencing but didn't really know how to talk about. Um, and, And in that way, I think, books are phenomenal. I love to write. I think that I have a a huge network of people who love to read what I write. So it's not that I say books aren't aren't valuable at all. They are. Um, But there's a tendency to put a little bit of an overemphasis on um, the intellectual understanding. And my advice is always to launch yourself out into experience and learn how to be resilient, learn how to be authentic in real time. No amount of reading 
um, can didactically teach you how to be authentic, how to operate in the world with personal responsibility, how to um, be vulnerable. Those things come from engaging with other people. You can't live in a cave and learn those things either. And um, emotional intelligence comes from a lot of trial and error. You guys can imagine that, well, maybe you can't, but there was a time where I was just a big old empath. I wasn't emotionally intelligent. I just felt everything and went on the ride about all of it. And I had to learn how to be intelligent about what I was feeling and how to learn to be compassionate rather than um, codependent <laughs> with my engagement with other people. Um, so that's my disclaimer. It's a long, a longer disclaimer, um, which I'm famous for these long-winded responses. Um, and I want to tell you what I was reading as I was going through my existential crises, because um, they weren't what you think. Well, maybe they were. Um, one of the most impactful, um, one of the most impactful books was a book by, first I started to read Wild by, by Cheryl Strayed, which is now a movie with Reese Witherspoon. But I read that book as I was kind of going through my sort of big breakdown when I kind of woke up and realized I didn't want to stay in banking forever. And I was in South America while I was reading it on, on my own little adventure. Um, and I fell in love with her writing style, Cheryl Strayed's writing style. And I then read what's called Tiny Beautiful Things, which is... Um, an advice column made into a book. And I find that storytelling is a profound catalyst for transformation for a person who's seeking. So if you're receptive and you are looking for resources, you will find resources in anything that you read. And the truth is, is that I had reached a point when I read that book where I was, I was willing to look anywhere for answers. And so I didn't need um, a how-to guide. I needed inspiration to keep walking forward. And there was an essay in that book, Tiny Beautiful Things, um, where uh, she's telling her response to a, to a question is where she's talking about um, uh, her relationship of always needing to have a problem in order to have a reason to connect with other people. And I really related to that. Like, you don't have to be broken for me. And I didn't feel broken, but I also felt like it was through presenting myself as broken that that was how I was going to get the connection that I wanted is like have, have problems. And that sort of turned me on this new way of relating to myself in the world that um, I wasn't actually surrounded by all of these problems and I didn't need to hyper-focus on what, what was going wrong. Um, so it was it profoundly changed my life and I love Cheryl Strayed and she has a great podcast now. And um, Yeah. So that's one of the big books. Um, uh, then um, I would say one of the books that I always recommend to my clients is, is written by one of my mentors who I worked with for two years named Lynn Forrest. And it's called um, Life Beyond Victim Consciousness. And I would say that my work with her was, was quite impactful because it taught me very quickly that behind every action was an emotion and was a story, every single action in my life. And up until I learned that from her, I had no idea. And when I learned that, I learned how heavily influenced my life was by my belief systems and how fixed my belief systems were and for how great my life might have been 
um, not really understanding that there was some there was some wiggle room in there that I didn't even realize was possible just by working with my beliefs. And um, I now teach this that like energy is or emotion is energy in motion. Emotion is purely energy. You take action based on how you feel and what you think. You believe what you think because it creates a reactive response for you. And that's the fuel that many of us have in the way that we engage with our lives. And there's actually a different fuel resource. And it took me 33 years to learn that. Mm. And I was like, you know, there, there was, there was, you know, there's this meme of like, I was today or today's years old. When I learned this thing, I was 33 years old when I learned that um, I had actual conscious or unconscious intention behind every single thing that I did and that I was in charge of changing that. Previous to that, I thought I was just at the mercy of my environment. Mm, I love that. Can we can go ahead? Can we deep dive into the victim's mindset? Because I feel like like you touched upon something that maybe not everybody understands how, um, and I definitely don't, but I know something about it. I think Um, the idea of always saying that there's nothing that I could have done to change this because I'm in this setup and how can I, how can I impact this? What is the power that I have here? And I feel that if people are more aware of how they can start impacting their environment, they will move from this mindset and step into what they are meant to do. Yes. My view, but <laughs> could be yeah. that. Uh... It was, a, uh, that, that, that's it. it. It really is. Um, it's, it's that simple, except for it's not that you are changing your environment. It has nothing. Your environment is a mirror. And this is one of the most important things for people to learn and understand is that everything that they can see, experience, touch with the five senses, it was created by your own mind. And what I mean by that is that you, your ability to experience it as real means that you believe that it's real. It starts here. So that's neuroscience. Anil Seth talks a lot about that. We're in constant hallucination and we are regularly experiencing what we believe played out in front of us at all times. And so to walk a dharmic path, which is a Buddhist term, means to allow your entire environment to be your teacher. And thank God I was a very, very, very avid traveler prior to going through this mental breakdown and subsequent breakthrough. I already understood that I could learn from my environment on an experiential level. And so to adopt this idea that um, my ability to experience the door into my living room means that I believe that there is a door into my living room. It gave me power back that I thought I didn't have. And so, I mean, the ultimate truth is that we, we do all have power and Of course, it manifests in very different ways. Some people have a more quiet power, but our power is our self-authority. Our power is is, um, our understanding that that it's not that it's control. It's that the the discipline lies within. And so if you experience, and and I will paint the picture for it so people can self-identify, I really thought that I was just operating in a fixed environment it's not like I even thought about it. I just, I didn't think about it. 
I, I engaged with my environment as though my environment was happening to me. And sometimes I really enjoyed that experience. For example, when I was out on the road traveling and it was a fun adventure. And other times when I was in the monotony, monotony of a nine to five job and didn't really enjoy the meetings or the 100 emails a day or the boring aspects of my work or whatever it was, I didn't enjoy my environment and what it was reflecting to me. And the instinct there is to try and reject the things that you don't like and bring in more of the things that you do. So that's the way most people live. So I, I really want to paint this picture and not to normalize it, but to just let us all know that this is just what, this is what we're taught, unless we're taught something different. There's another way to experience it. And that way is to understand that everything that you experience is you. And I don't mean that in the egocentric sense. It's just that you're, you're the creator of all of it, which means that even the things that you don't like, you're the creator of. So sure, you can go and you can change your job or you can go and you can change your relationship and get out of the one that you don't like. But it's very likely that you will relive that experience in a different environment because you're the one that's creating the experience of dissatisfaction, for example. Mm. This is a really challenging thing for people to understand and to appreciate, especially if they're in relationships where they don't like their partners or they hate their boss or something. And to a certain degree, sometimes changing the job can help, but not for the reasons that you think. Usually if you change jobs, it's because you've moved into a team where everyone's walking around on eggshells and that problem isn't actually visible or you've discovered a different aspect of yourself that you need to look at. Like there's really like no place you can go where there isn't an opportunity to learn what you believe about yourself based on the reflection your environment is offering you. And that's a really important thing to know because if you're in the, in, in the position of wanting to um, transition from a career into entrepreneurship, for example, or from a career into a different career or from one company to the next, usually what we think we need to do without even thinking about it. We think that if we're going to come to a completion with something, that it's really helpful to reject the old thing so that we can make room for the new thing. We do it in relationship too. And one of the things that was really important to me when I left Nordia was that I left feeling gratitude for Nordia, even though it started with, I hate this company. Like <laughs> I loved, I loved my company, but I was frustrated with a lot of things that were going on in the workplace there. And that was part of why I was like, I don't want to spend the next 35 years of my life here. Hmm. But I also don't, I also knew better than to think that that was going to be any better anywhere else. And so I understood that I needed to do something too. And what I did is I made Nordia an extraordinary place to work because I knew that the power to do that was in my hands. And I left on extraordinary terms. I had a wonderful team of people. My boss and I got along really, really well. I had created something that I was really proud of. Mm. And when I left, it was truly a completion of like, okay, I'm complete with the experience of working in this particular environment. I feel as though I have something else to offer to the world and I need to go find out what that is. And it was a very loving mm conscious uncoupling, if you will. Hmm. Uh, and that came from me not blaming them for why I wasn't happy. For me not being yeah. in the powerless position, the victimized position of saying, you did this to me. You're the reason why I don't feel satisfied with my career. Exactly. Let's, let's stop there because I feel you said something very relevant for everybody who's in this 
midst of what do I do now? If somebody is in the situation right now that they are unhappy with their setup at work and they want to change it, what I understand from what you're sharing is that they should change the way they see their workplace and not necessarily blaming all the time on the external factor, the fact that something is not is not done, right? So right. for example, if you are in a in a team where you could ask for you know, a learning experience or a new role or some more responsibility, go ahead and do it because it will only help rather than waiting for something external to happen or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Lynn, let's be, we'll be really tangible with that example. I One of the things that I hear a lot um, and I've also experienced in the corporate environment, <coughs> excuse me, is um, people have really big ideas and they don't go after them because either they believe that they won't be supported or they're actually told that they won't be supported. And um, they decide to use that as evidence that um, to, to confirm a belief system that they have, that their ideas don't matter, that people don't care about what they think. And they take that, they spin that into creating more and more and more and more evidence of that. When all of that has incurred only inside of your head, a person may say no to one thing and they may say yes to the next thing. But often what happens is they get, um, they hit a roadblock in a corporate environment and then they throw the baby out with the bathwater and they no longer um, aspire to something in that role. And they think that they need to change bosses and teams or companies in order to be able to contribute in the way that they want to contribute. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's one very common example. Mm. And to, to revert to the question of where to start, would you say that there's some step that you would definitely recommend to start with, or there's like a series of actions or for somebody who wants to understand this in a more um, like tangible way, what is something that we can draw from your analogy? So let's take, for example, everything in your environment is a mirror for you. Hmm. This is one of my favorite exercises and it's one that a lot of people fight me on, but it is a really, really good exercise. And if you go all the way through it, you will learn so much. And that is if everything in my environment is a is a mirror, how can I claim everything that I experience in this office, including the things that you judge as bad or wrong or not the way that you're supposed to show up or against the rules or whatever it is. And sometimes that exercise takes a little time because we don't want to believe that we do the things that we hate, but guess what? We do. <laughs> it's not a nice feeling to address aspects of ourselves that we don't want to look at, but you don't need a coach to do that. You can just notice where you do not want to own that you might impact other people the same way that they're negatively impacting you. Mm. I hate it too. I like, so there's never a point where I'm like, yeah, I love to have something that I totally did not see reflected to me in a way that is really hard for me to digest. Like, that's hard. You don't need a coach for that. All you have to do is go find the, the people that you judge or the things that you're critical of or the things that you complain about and flip the mirror and say, hmm, I must, I must do this. On some level, I must do this because I hate it. Or... Um, yeah, it, it, it's almost always that way. It's almost yeah. always you do the same thing in a different context, maybe. But if you're triggered by something, that's why I say go after the things that you criticize, go after the things you judge, go after the things you complain about. 
those are your cues for where your stories are making your perception of your environment look worse than it actually is. And they trigger you for some reason. You might have a whole story about why. It doesn't actually matter. What matters is when you can say that you take the, the, the humility medicine of being like, wow, I can't believe that I've been doing that unchecked for so long. And then you start it's to a, change your behavior. Yeah, it's uh-huh. a hard exercise. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still have to do this one. You know, it, it's no one gets free from this and never has to do it again. It's something that you revisit, you know, there's no arrival here. It's, this is learning to get humble over and over and over and over again. Exactly. Just imagining mirroring your behavior over and over, like, you know, even on a yearly basis, it's so hard because even if you discover something today in a year, you'll be like, ah, but I, I passed that. You know, like you don't want to, you don't want to feel like this continues to happen. So then it's very hard to detach yourself from, I'm doing the same thing that is making me feel unhappy or um, stressed or, you know, obviously there are situations where you just need to get out of there, whatever the situation is. Um, I started to say no to a lot of things that I used to say yes to Mm -hmm. because I realized that I don't need to say yes to everything. I don't need to be available every time. I don't need to be friends with everybody. And it took me a while to understand that because I felt like, but why wouldn't I? I mean, I'm a nice person. I can be friends with anybody. Yeah, okay, you can, but you won't be able to please everybody. So you might as well just go for something that's true to yourself. Yeah. Took so long. (laughs) You know, all of us have to go through there. There are these gates. And the thing that I also want to just piggyback on the back of this is that there is no arrival. And one of the bigger belief systems that occurs, I think, particularly in the corporate world, which is a, a product of sort of years of institutionalization before you get there, is this idea that you're going to arrive at this job and then the path will be laid out for you and you won't have to do anything for the rest of your life because it's just going to be self-evident. And that's actually one of the biggest disappointments that people graduating from a master's degree in a specific program get when they get into the workforce is they're like, this was nothing like how I imagined it. And you probably had that experience. I had that experience. In some ways, I was like, oh, my God, insurance and vacation days. Like, I thought that was great. But but like, I thought it was there was a parts of it where I was just like, is this it? Like, how does this how does this machine work? And you don't want to transfer that mindset into personal growth because there's no arrival in personal growth. There isn't actually in the corporate world either, but there are a lot of people who will validate and confirm that belief system in the corporate environment. And when you start getting into your own inner work and your own emotional intelligence, it becomes very clear as soon as you reach an arrival that there's a new arrival, like the marking post constantly is moving Mm -hmm. and, and surrendering to that, like, there's never going to be a day where you have it all figured out. In fact, the more wise you get, the more you're like, I don't know. That's actually someone, someone who doesn't know and is willing to say, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. What do you think? Like those are the ones who've done the most work usually because they don't, they're not deluded to think that they have all the answers and that they're the authority on all the topics of conversation anymore. And the ambitious overachiever of which I am also just like you and just like probably a lot of the people who are listening to your podcast who are interested in driving their career 
are also likely to be ambitious about their personal growth. And it's a slippery slope because actually the more, um, the more you truly integrate, the more you realize that there is no arrival and you're kind of constantly arriving and departing at the same time at all times. Another very difficult point to admit until you're ready. <laughs> it's very hard to say, mm, don't know where this is going. We don't know where we will feel like it's the right thing for me to, to be part of. And this yeah. links very well with the question that I, that I received that I think um, is just a natural transition. Mm -hmm. How do you tackle the situation when you know it is time to start something new, but you are not sure whether the timing is best? What do you tell people who always balance their need for security with their need for adventure? Whew. Well, I revert back to the three years it took me to leave Nordia before I embarked on only being an entrepreneur. I think that, you know, one of the things that um, happens for a lot of people is they have this aha moment where they realize that they want to be doing something else. And Unfortunately, we live in a very instant gratification society these days and we want it now. And on the one hand, like only the present moment exists and sure you should have it now because you can conceptualize the idea of it. And um, being responsible and making sure that you're mentally prepared for aspects of like, if you want to be an entrepreneur Not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. It is hard work to be constantly responsible for your own welfare. It's also the most liberating, spiritually enlivening experience ever, but it's not easy. And you may, um, like in my case, I had proven to myself that I could generate revenue before I left Nordia. So I was generating revenue in my business from nights and weekends before I quit Nordia and in Nordia I was making a very good salary and I had um, enough savings saved up that I would be um, secure for a year in the event I made no money. And that was part of my plan because um, quite frankly, I wasn't interested in compromising on my quality of life. <laughs> I had, I had reached my mid thirties. I was not going to move into a shack of an apartment. I did not want a roommate. I wanted to continue to eat organic food in Copenhagen. I wanted to continue to travel. I knew that those were things that were really important for me. And so here's the really big tip from an entrepreneurial perspective. When you're, when someone else is paying you every month, it doesn't matter if you go down to zero kroner in your bank account. I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are in Denmark um, because next month you're going to have money again. On the first, this magic phantom is going to come and deposit all of these beautiful kroner into your bank account and you have you get to start all over. And and all you have to do is show up to the office at eight or nine o'clock every day and do these things on your task list. And it's you don't have to think about it, really. Like to a certain degree, you can kind of be an autopilot. And I don't mean that people are, it's just that it's it's easier to be an autopilot. And the mindset is that zero equals poverty, but also that money's going to come in. And when you're an entrepreneur, you do not want your poverty line to be at zero anymore. You need to move it up because you have to pay for your own expenses and you also have to generate revenue. And you ultimately want to get to a place where you have profit, which is the balance between revenue and expenses and basic accounting. Most people kind of know that. Um, 
And this was the the challenging thing for me to learn. And I worked in finance for years. Was was that as an entrepreneur, I needed my base minimum um, income every month to be like five thousand euros a month in order to um, continue to grow in my business, continue to invest in my education, my product, which is me in my case. I wanted to continue to get training um, to when I was, um, you know, when there wasn't COVID, I was traveling with clients. There were expenses associated with that. I wanted to travel well so that I was arriving filled up and resourced for my clients, which means I was wanting to buy business class tickets. So that there were things that um, I needed to budget for and I could not afford to get to um, zero every month. I needed to turn the fire up when I got to um, 5,000. And so I was not hustling, but I was, I was making sure that I was developing a business strategy that ensured that my baseline was always met so that my business could always run no matter what Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. products, creating systems in place so that that occurred for me. And Mm -hmm. I didn't learn that my first year running this full time. It took me a couple of years to get that one down because um, I didn't understand that because I didn't see that aspect of my mindset until much later. Mm-hmm. And when you're working in a company where they're in charge of that, you don't think about that kind of thing. So that's the most mm-hmm. tangible advice that I can give is like um, the first thing you want to do is create, you know, your zero, your par- your poverty level. Where does that need to be in order to invest in your growth, not just your expenses, but your growth? Because most businesses don't profit in their first few years. I also had really naive expectations about that. And I, I was at, you know, I took a loss a couple of years in a row because I was investing in my growth so heavily that I, I had to use that savings in order to float me until I started generating profit. And that's mm. a common misconception when you're running a business on your own is that you're going to be wallowing in the dough. You also still have to pay taxes in Denmark. That's a really big number. But when you're taking a loss, you don't pay any taxes because you're mm. but you can only do that for a few years before your company is considered a hobby and they kind of say, okay, you need to go get a job and start paying this cat again. So that's, that's probably the most tangible advice I can give mm-hmm. is like, get super clear about what your expenses are going to be if you're growing, not if you're just barely cutting it by and make that your baseline every month. Do not allow yourself to not make any income in a month. Yeah. that's very that's very good uh, like tangible advice for entrepreneurs and people who maybe just want to start their own uh their own thing now in light of everything that's happening around the world i actually had a uh follow-up question about the emotional challenges in, in in this process so um one of the listener wrote us you had the courage and determination of making a career change and ultimately a life change of disproportions. Your path sounds like a well-constructed one, but could not have been easy. What were your biggest emotional challenges in this process? And about those you might have been that might have been tougher, how did you approach them and came on top of them? Like, what did you learn? Hmm, I have a lot of challenges. <laughs> Um, like, like I was saying earlier, being an entrepreneur is hard and I don't recommend it for everyone because you need to love the art of business in order to do it well. Otherwise it can be really like more stress than it's 
than it's worth for a lot of people. Mm. Like, you know, someone who's really interested in emotional intelligence, but who doesn't want to run their own business could also easily work in HR and pretty much any Danish company and still get those needs met in a really powerful way because Danish companies are starting to look at this stuff too. Um, In terms of my challenges, um, you know, I had, um, when I left Nordea, um, I was kind of blind to um, like I was, I was a bit fantastical in my way of thinking about how money was going to come in because I was so sure that I was offering something super relevant. And um, I offer a service that requires a lot of trust and a lot of vulnerability of my clients. And I lived in a world where people um, naturally trusted me pretty quickly. And I took that for granted. And um, I had not learned how to consciously build trust with people who had not had a personal experience with me. And so there was a point where my known resources started to dry out. And I was reaching out to people who I didn't know, who didn't know me, who had no reason to trust me, um, and who wanted to learn how to be vulnerable, but they weren't yet. And um, to have me sitting in front of you, peering into your soul is requires a little bit of surrender. You know, like it's not easy to let someone in and then reflect to you the aspects of you can't, of what you can't see from yourself and sharing things that nobody else in your life probably ever would dare to. And to receive that it's hard work. And, um, I upset a few of my clients, um, by taking that for granted because I moved too fast. I wasn't listening to where they were at because I assumed that they would just trust me. And that's for my industry, but I think it's also true um, in business in general, because everything about building business is building relationship, which is why emotional intelligence is so important. And if you are not aware of the important aspects of building relationship, like fostering an environment of psychological safety between you and your clients or you and your business partner or whatever, like, I just wanted people to trust me, God damn it. Like, that's how I felt about it. Because I knew that I was trustworthy. I knew that I was in integrity. Why are you doubting me? They might doubt me because of their own projections and their own personal experiences. But I took that personally. I was like, I don't understand. And it created some rough patches for me where I thought that I had a complete misunderstanding. Mean, my whole world kind of got turned upside down, which was a very, very good part of my um professional growth, but it was hard. And there were times where I thought that my business was going to close down. I thought that I was going to crumble. I felt blindsided by that sometimes. And, um, you know, I had to do a lot of inner work to start to understand where I imposed my trustworthiness on other people instead of learning to honor where they are and meeting them where they are without having that feel like a sacrifice for who I am. And um, that's an important skill in all relationships. And one of the things that I have going for me, which I think is an incredibly important skill is that I am incredibly willing. And 
people who don't know me and how I encounter my own personal growth is like, I am willing to put my face in the dirt over and over again if I have to in order to get the message. And I don't give up in that regard. There may be times where I really don't want to look at a thing, but in the sense that the world is your mirror, if I have clients who are projecting their stuff onto me, I must be doing the same thing in a different way. And I'm always willing to look at that. And in that sense, I am probably more of a student than I am a teacher. But I think that the best teachers are students. And I had a a shaman who I worked with in Africa um, say to to be a master is to serve. It's to get down on your knees and and be of service to other people. And um, it's just so true. And we think that when we're, you know, it's really easy to get lost in this facade when you're running your own business and you kind of rule your own world to think that you're on top of the world. And um, usually in my case, I very quickly later have the um, humble pie message of like, actually you're not like you're here to serve other people. You're not here to shine brightly so that they can be an on reverence of you. You're, you're here to be of service. And I get to learn that over and over again. And it's, it's, and I really say that deliberately. I get to, I get to learn. I'm honored to learn um, that particular lesson. Hmm. So, wow. (laughs) Such a, such a deep, you know, uh, message that you've shared with just understanding where, where's the limit to how you, connect with people like what's the right way of doing it because you know very well what you're capable of but I don't and how do you how do you create this trust with people that you do not know and I feel that this is um, very true also for your professional work when you have a new job or when you have a new role when you're trying to create a relationship with a person that doesn't know you before Mm. sometimes we don't get the cues of uh, this person doesn't like it or doesn't understand why am I so friendly from the beginning? I don't know you. Why are you smiling all the time? Like I've mm-hmm. actually gotten this feedback. Why are you so happy? Like, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm just a happy person. It's not, <laughs> it's just, yeah. I'm not doing it to, I'm not doing it to um, move your focus or grab your attention or anything like that. It's just the way I interact you know and not knowing how to interact with people that are not like me or that maybe have different um, cues social cues was actually a huge lesson for me because I found myself in some situations where not only did I feel awkward but I didn't know how to express myself more than that I I kind of I froze I was like what do you mean why am I smiling Am, have I done something wrong? Like, how do I get out of this? You know, yeah. such an uncomfortable situation. And getting to the point where I could say, uh, look, maybe I, maybe, you know, maybe this is just a misunderstanding. I just want to share that this is the way I interact, but I totally understand that maybe this was just um, inappropriate for the time being. So if I did something like that, you know, I'm sorry, uh, I'll just uh, be more aware of the context next time. It took me yeah. a long time to get to this point where, I should say it because I don't want to be sorry for who I am, but I also need to understand that in some situation it plays in your favor to understand that not everybody is like you and not everybody should accept the way you react to a situation easily. They can question it. It's so, it's so true. And, and, you know, this is a leadership skill set 
that from what I understand, people learn in leadership trainings, but they maybe don't fully integrate is the power of influence starts with having the people around you feeling seen and heard. That's what prompts them to engage. That's what gives them the motivation and the inspiration to carry their own weight. Um, And, and I think anybody who's ever engaged in a corporate program meant to transition or transform an organization knows that in order to get where you're going, you need to know where you are. And whether that is on a singular, you know, relationship, like client coach relationship, which is the case with me, um, or me working with a group of people, um, or if it's, you know, you coming into a new organization as a new hire, you know, it's sometimes we're really, really ambitious and we want to show that we know our stuff and we come in and run over everyone who was there without taking the time to get context for why they're there in the first place. And then you end up sort of either dragging them along or making a bunch of people upset or, you know, whatever. And, and I still have to work on this too. This is actually one of my biggest challenges is actually attuning so completely to my environment that every single person in a group of people feel seen and heard and met by me so that if I move forward, I can actually gauge my speed in such a way where my energy is not feeling like it's getting compromised by me. Like I'm not underperforming, but I'm also not invalidating everyone else in the process and making myself look superior. And I still have to work on that because I have a lot of sort of raw force in my spirit. <laughs> and and I was this way in the corporate environment too. I would get on a new team and I'd be like, okay, let's go. We're going to just do it. And incidentally, it, it doesn't work that way. You have to understand the system, how it is, understand the mindset of how it was created, and then you can change it. And mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest failures that people have when they, when co- companies are trying to change something is that they don't understand how it was. They just try to put a bandaid on it. And that mm-hmm. doesn't work long-term. It's not sustainable. Mm, yeah. And those of us who are ambitious really have a lot to learn from that. I, like I certainly had plenty to learn from that. Yeah. I want to talk to you about two other topics and I hope we'll, we'll get there. Uh, we'll have the time because um, I got another question about the um, lucidity in making decisions. So, Life-changing decisions are not easy to rely on instinct only. There are so many other insecurities brought to the table by such a scenario. What would you recommend for lucidity in taking decisions, in making decisions? How would, do you break everything down and reassembly yourself? <sighs> um, so the topic of the, or the title of the podcast is the answer to that question. It's take the time to know who you are. Um, every day I get this question, how do you know what to trust? How do you know what's real? What's true? How do I know whether I'm running away or moving toward? Um, you have to learn how to trust yourself. And in order to do that, you have to take time getting to know who you are and starting to learn the difference between when you're telling yourself a story that's not serving you. And when your instinct is just super clear that this isn't the right pathway for you. Um, And my big indicator for me is my nervous system. And so I've learned to listen to my nervous system. 
and pay attention to whether or not I'm in a reactive state. So when I work privately with people, one of the main things that we do in our first several months together is um, take inventory of different types of reactive behavior. And reactive behavior is an indicator that you perceive threat. Now, here's an important part. You may perceive threat. You may be right. But if your system is reacting to it, there is another place where you need to be putting your attention and it's not outside of you. You need to address the reaction. So understanding what your reactivity looks like, and it's different for everyone. Some people get really justified and really righteous. Some people complain and judge. Other people get overtly angry. Sometimes it's very silent. Sometimes it's just a form of paralysis where you feel like you can't really talk. Knowing what your style of reactivity is starts to help you see what aspects of your environment are triggering you and dismantling those first by understanding that you're not in threat, you're actually safe. There are different ways that you can think about this by working with your belief systems. There are different ways that you can choose to feel. And when you have done that work, what's underneath is your inner voice. Everyone has an inner voice. There's not a single person on this planet who does not have one. And when you hear that voice, you will know. That's that's what I tell people. You will know what he or she sounds like, or it 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 doesn't have it necessarily a gender. My inner voice is a very low version of my own voice, but it's also very grounded and very calm and very regal. And it's simple. It is not a long-winded <laughs> um, story. It's, it has a completely different energetic sensation to the hamster wheel story of strategy and trying to figure things out and trying to come to solution. Usually you can access that voice by remembering that you can focus on the question and not on trying to find the answer. Usually people jump to trying to find the answer without even knowing what the question is. But notice your, your symptoms in your own body. Like what does your body feel like when you're reactive to something? I... I used to, my, my primary reactivity style was, was a sort of cool righteousness. And I was very convincing because I'm also a pretty charismatic person. And if you had told me that I was reactive, I'd be like, no, I'm not. Because I don't have overreactivity. I'm not angry. Sometimes I am, but I didn't recognize those aspects of myself at the time. Um, and so I had to learn that like when I, when I shut down and stop emoting, that is a very, very important signal for me. And that is not a signal that I need to go change my environment. It is a signal that I need to go meditate. And knowing that about yourself, knowing all the things that are not you will help you start to hear I hope the very quiet voice that is you. And year. that's the voice Remember that you follow. And that's how and I knew comments. to leave Nordia, Thank even you. though everyone told me that I was crazy because I was leaving a very cushy setup. I had discounts on my home loans. I had benefits up the kazoo. I had a great work-life balance. I had seniority. I had good money. I had all of it. And I walked away and it was because if I, like I couldn't ignore that voice anymore, even though I had no idea what it was gonna turn into. Like if you'd asked me then if what my life looked like today, I wouldn't have been able to imagine this. But I had to go because my voice was so clear. But I spent three years clearing out the debris. 
Hmm. It was really important for me to leave on good terms because that's how I got the gratitude that I did for, for the time that I was in banking. You touched upon so many amazing uh, points to just think about. And I love the, um, you know, taking the time to understand how you react to things and the cause of it, mm-hmm. because the way you react comes from some other setup that you find confining. And if you look into, you will realize that it doesn't really um, showcase itself in one occasion. You're probably reacting to this deep issue that you've had or something traumatic or something annoying happened at some point and you re- you connected it with a very you know, reactive uh, um, emotion saying that the moment something like this starts to happen, the moment I feel under threat, I need to show who I am. I need to show that I'm here to, you know, storm the room if it's necessary. And then Mm -hmm. you have this reaction without knowing that it comes from something, maybe something that doesn't matter anymore. It's not who you are now. It's now a projection. It's called a projection or a transference experience is a psychological term for it. And it, it's a trigger that you haven't healed from your most likely your childhood when you truly were powerless, when you truly were at the mercy of your environment. Like that's where almost all of our wounding comes from. Sometimes it occurs as adults as well from other types of trauma, but it's transference experience and understanding that it has nothing to do with your office is step one. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it's um, it's just harder than it than it sounds, right? So, yeah, it's a very good advice to look at those those cues and those those little reactions that you think mm, it's just the way I react to things. Like mm, maybe it can help you to yeah. step into something that's you know better for you if you just look within and try to figure it out. You know, it's yeah. uh, hard work though. Again, I feel like everything you're saying it's great. Like people should look into it, but I'm sure it's not as easy as it sounds. So for you, it took three years for other. It, no, might it, doesn't, take it doesn't have to be that hard, to be honest. Like, I think that one of the things that makes any kind of transformation hard is when we're resistant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in my TED talk, one of the first things I introduce in my TED talk is whether a person is energetically open or energetically closed. And a lot of people think that they're energetically open when they're not. And openness comes from presence. And so you can start by meditating. Learn what it feels like to be present in your body. For some people, that takes longer than it does for others. But resistance is the thing that stops this from happening faster. You could have a realization tomorrow if you were able to dismantle your resistance. And some people are more resistant to other than others. And that's usually because they have a lot of really understandable reasons to be resistant. You know, they had a tough childhood and they've brought all of those experiences and recreated them in their adulthood. And sometimes mm-hmm. you need to do some healing work to truly dismantle that. And I needed to do intense healing work. Not everyone came from the same traumatic background that I did. You know, we, this is what we talked about on the, on the podcast interview. I had 22 years of very unstable, unstable circumstances at home. And when I moved away from home, it was like starting from scratch for me. And I needed to create layer by layer, different levels of sense of security. And not everyone is going to have to do the le- the level of healing that I had to do. So it could actually take less time. Mm-hmm. What was hard for me was 
repatterning some things that were very buried. Like I was a very high functioning, sophisticated woman in the world. And in many ways that worked great for me. And I had a lot of validation from my environment that I was headed in the right direction. And I had to learn how to dismantle things that no one else could point out for me. And that required a lot of um, healing and a lot of like being willing to tell myself that I wasn't a disgusting piece of crap every time I did something wrong. And I was very trained that making a mistake was terrible, that it was life-threatening. I spent 20 30 years living in that lens. And so it did take me time to Hmm. uh, open and be vulnerable and allow people to help me and all of those things. For someone who came from a relatively healthy home, it might not take so long. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good point. I want to um, sum up with a question that we got about some of the um, so the, the topic you pointed out with uh, women um, having a harder time asking for what they want. Mm-hmm. And one of the listeners uh, wanted to tap into that and ask something that um, maybe many listeners will find very useful, which is, um, can you elaborate on how women can negotiate better their terms and conditions? How can we overcome the uncomfortable feeling in these conversations and which strategies work for women best? Same negotiation done by men comes natural, while sometimes a woman is perceived as greedy or overconfident. That's such a good question. (laughs) I love your listener. (laughs) Um, So... Step one is learn how to feel discomfort. Growth um, is not comfortable. Just not. Never is. Even when um, the thing that you're doing to grow might be to create more comfort in your life, it's never comfortable to do things differently. And learning how to physically hold the sensation of discomfort in your body, to be aware of it, and not to um, react to that discomfort by trying to constantly adjust and shift to make it more comfortable um, is a really important skill for more than just negotiations. I mean, we have challenging conversations with our lover and, you know, learning how to, um, first of all, receive no, like, You can ask for what you want and people have a right to say no to it. What's the worst that can happen? They say no. There's a, there's a Ted talk called hundred days of rejection. I highly recommend everyone who's watching this to watch that Ted talk. It's so funny and it's so good. And it's like, you just don't even realize, like, I I see this pattern more often in women of, of us, like dancing around on the ice, trying to do everything we can to not get a no. Mm. you know I would rather someone say no to me than say yes because that convinced them like I don't I don't think it's actually what we want we don't want people to say yes to us just because we were manipulative and so knowing who you are knowing what you're worth and then being willing to ask and stay for the negotiation understanding that another person may not perceive your value in the same way that you did. Like the, the conversation that I was referring to in our podcast interview was my last job at Nordea. 
And at that point, I knew that, sure, I was excellent at managing a financial portfolio, um, but I was also the glue of a team and I was an excellent leader trainer and I was really good at helping grow teams and, and make them all leaders and self-sufficient. Um, and I knew that those skill sets were going to benefit my future boss more than my ability to manage a financial portfolio. And so I said, like, I'm going to be honest with you. I will look like I am spending a lot of my time on the financial portfolio, but that takes me 30% of my energy. I can do that sleepwalking. These other things are things that I want to bring to your team that I know I will be good at, that I know will offer value for you, that are way more above and beyond what you're asking me for. And I can't not do them. So I want to be compensated for it. And those were the things that got me a 5% raise when I changed that job. And I think it starts with asking yourself the question of like, what do I do above and beyond my task list? Because everyone in Denmark has a tax list because the unions rule everything. And so you have a job description. You might even have a salary bracket and maybe you're right sweet in the middle of that salary bracket and you are doing the job description. Ask yourself the questions. What other things do I bring to this role besides what I'm being paid for? And men have this other thing that they that they tend to have is they tend to overinflate their capabilities. Women tend to underinflate. And so with women, I like to tell them to aim to be brash, like aim to um, brag. And then you'll probably hit the sweet spot because most mm. women are very uncomfortable bragging. And so what they say they're really good at is just, it's just honest truth. It's not even bragging. It's just, it's the real deal. Hmm. And you can own that and people can say no, but it's not about being cocky. It's not about um, being justified and righteous about it. It's just being honest. And that feels different. That body communication is different. If you're just being honest, like here's what you can expect from me from full integrity, from full authenticity, not, here's what I'm going to do for you. And here's what you're going to give to me. Like there's a completely different energetic exchange and me being righteous about it. And so you, again, this goes back to the previous topic of knowing what your reactivity looks like so that you can offer your authentic self and understand that that does have value because when you do other people will mirror you. Thank you so much, Antisa, for taking the time. And everybody, if you want, please go follow Antisa on all the social media platforms. She's very active. Uh, yeah. She's sometimes invited as as guests on other live uh, live streams. So I'm sure that you will be able to get more value from from what she what she does and what she shares. I hope you felt inspired to take charge of your next career move. Remember to review this podcast and share your comments. Thank you.